Hello and welcome to The HOA Show, where we discuss the news, problems, trends, and critical issues relating to life in a homeowner association. Join us every episode, and together we'll explore how to survive and thrive in the dizzying world of HOAs. Hello and welcome to The HOA Show. I'm your host, Ryan Gazelle, and in this episode, we'll be discussing the commercial umbrella market and access liability coverage. With me today are two of the heaviest hitters in the world of insurance for common interest developments, Joel Meskin and Kevin Davis. Joel Meskin is an attorney and managing director of community association products and risk management at McGowan Program Administrators, a nationwide provider of insurance for common interest developments. He has his CIRMS designation and is also a fellow of the College of Community Association Lawyers. Kevin Davis is the president of Kevin Davis Insurance Services, currently the managing general agent for Travelers Insurance and one of the largest writers of specialty insurance coverage for common interest developments all across the country. Both of these gentlemen here I've known for a very, very long time. They're very active in the world of CAI, both on the local level as well as the national level. I've been in this industry for about 22 years now, and when I think about insurance for common interest developments, you two guys have to be like the godfathers of the industry. I know you both have a particular specialty in the area of directors and officers insurance, as well as commercial umbrella coverage. Joel, for the benefit of our listeners, what exactly is an umbrella policy? Well, an umbrella policy, which probably should call umbrella liability policy, is a policy to provide excess limits above your underlying liability policies, such as your general liability, your directors and officers liability, your employment practices liability. And so you're buying protection that goes, again, up and above. And there's two types of umbrella policies, really, but we will just keep it at that right now. And it's different from an excess liability policy, correct? Well, yeah, it's kind of hard to tell a book by its cover these days. You have portions of the policy that are directly following forms, which means it follow forms the primary policy, and it has certain specific exclusions. And then on the other hand, you have what's truly the umbrella, which provides excess limits, but it has its own terms and conditions. So for the purposes of our listeners, most of them are going to be board members, community managers. Essentially, what they need to know is that Typically, an excess liability policy would just act in excess of the underlying general liability policy, whereas an umbrella policy is typically going to be broader, act in excess of the directors and officers and the general liability and the workers' comp. Would that be a good way to put it? Basically, I I think they don't really need to know much. And Kevin, tell me what you think. Anything that Kevin, myself, or any of our competitors, those who still exist, you know, would be providing is basically providing them with the following form, you know, above the primary and almost never do we ever get into the umbrella side of this, especially in this industry. And and we could debate in about 30 seconds what we think may be covered under the section B of those policies. But for the purpose of the unit owners and board members, the idea is what do you need to, to cover above the primary policy, what can you sleep with, what can you live with, and these days, I guess the difference is what can you find and what can you afford, which is really, I think, where we're ultimately going to be leading. Uh, Kevin, why is an umbrella policy so often needed in California? Wow, yeah, because right now, 
when there's a loss, a liability loss, okay, especially in the areas of employment practices, um, in the areas of any kind of medical um, professional liability, uh, really anything right now is going to exceed the policy limit. So most of the general liability policy is going to be that $1 million, $2 million, $1 million per occurrence, $2 million aggregate. But when you have a claim, you're looking at a claim today. It, historically, we've always been bad in California, but today, more so than ever before, you're talking about a claim that's usually going to be in excess of that $1 million limit. So you definitely need California more so than anywhere else. I guess what I was getting at uh, specifically was that in California, we have the California Civil Code, which requires uh, community associations that have 100 units and fewer to maintain at least $2 million in general liability coverage per occurrence. If they have more than 100 units, they have to maintain $3 million per occurrence in general liability limits per the civil code. So it, usually a lot of the property and general liability carriers, those package policies will offer $1 million per occurrence in general liability coverage. An easier way to meet the requirements of the civil code is to just get an umbrella policy, which ups the limits by $1 million to $1 million, $5 million. Just to clarify the civil code, just maybe hyper technical, but I found a lot of people the fact that you comply with the the code doesn't mean that the association may be uh, protected from anything excess that three million. What it precludes is any direct actions against individual board members themselves. And so that's why I think Kevin and myself really have always provided you know, 15 million at least, because if it's going to go over a million, there's a pretty good chance that it's going to keep going up, especially when what we're seeing most often as killing these policies are drownings. Pools are just, you know, the umbrella carrier's worst nightmare. And unfortunately, recently falling or jumping off of balconies. So, uh, those are situations where if there's going to be a claim, it's going to be pretty significant. A lot of people believe that just because the civil code says that you have to have a one or two million dollar limit, give them a false sense of security, and once you have two million dollar limit, you have to worry about anything. Not true. When that claim occurs, you know, when you have a drowning or a falling or a slip and fall, or, or you know, what we see a lot too is a maintenance issue that has been responded properly, you know, where the, the overgrown bushes. I found uh, very often, and a matter of fact, I think I had some debates with Tim a long time ago on this because so many people were just insistent that the, the section of the civil code that people were touting, you know, they just didn't need anything excess, either the two million or the three million. And it took quite a while to convince people that, you know, that's just not the case. Because the one thing that we know is whether you have insurance or not, you know, each association's covered for everything. It's just whether you're going to pay through insurance or you're going to pay through a special assessment. Certainly. And while there may not be absolute protection provided by the civil code, you certainly wouldn't want to be in the um, courtroom trying to argue to the judge and jury why you didn't at least meet the civil code requirements, right? Oh, yeah. That kind of begs the question to your point, Joel, as far as the losses exceeding the limits of liability. Some people would say that any savvy attorney is going to look at the liability limits that you're maintaining and say, oh, they've got a $5 million umbrella policy. We're going to sue for $5 million. Has that been your experience? 
Um, yes. Go ahead, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say that when I talk to a lot of the lawyers, especially the community associations, they will get a certificate of insurance, look at all the limits, and they'll see if you have a $15 million limit, a 20, no matter what limit it is, they will go in there with that amount and try to um, I, I, you know, try to settle for that amount of money. Yeah. However, even without that, you're still going to run into a situation where you have the juries today, and the juries are made up, are, 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 are changing over to millennials, and millennials look at things differently. So as a result of that, you're going to have these high judgments, high awards that you didn't have two or three years ago. So it's more than just a limit. It's just a matter of today's environment dictates that you're going to have a settlement that's going to be higher than bad score. On the other hand, the one nice thing is we can argue both ways on this. A lot of times they will make a demand significantly higher than the policy limits because especially when it's going to be going to a jury trial, because at the end of the day, if the, the, the board or the insurance company comes back and, and says, hey, here are the policy limits, they're going to basically take that, whereas they may try, if you say there's only $5 million, they may try to get you down to $2 million, $3 million, which is also very hard for somebody you know, to, to walk away from, except for the fact when you have a you know, a child who's going to be a paraplegic for the rest of his or her life and those type of situations. So, so it, it's, it's really tough and it, it really depends on what's going to enable you to sleep at night. From insurance carrier point of view, they'll look at it and it's cyclical insurance carriers. They get to a point where we're not paying anything. We're going to, we're going to go to court. We're going to push everything to the limit. Other times they will write checks and settle. Right now, the insurance companies, we're seeing them settling cases more now than ever done before. It'll come to a point where years from now, they will go back to, you know, not settling. But right now, we see them selling a lot more things than we thought they would. We are seeing, I don't know if you're seeing the same thing, John. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess the next thing that we want to get into is how did we get here? You know, as you're both aware, agents and brokers used to have a plethora of umbrella markets for associations. Over the past few years, those markets have dried up with the current market as tight as I can remember it being. So many carriers had just left the space altogether and just decided they're not going to write umbrellas anymore for HOAs, while others have placed significant restrictions on their underwriting guidelines. Now, to your credit, both of your programs are two of the only remaining options available, but the remaining umbrella programs are so inundated with submissions that it's taking weeks, if not months, to obtain an umbrella quote in some cases. So I'd love to hear from you both. And Kevin, let's start with you. The question being, how do we get to this point? Well, this is interesting because Joe and I have been in this business for a very long time, and we are focused on profitability of our business. And so if you give me an account, or give Joel an account, we're going to look and go, wait a minute, this is not rated properly. This is not underwritten properly. So we're, we're going to take a walk from it. Joel and I will walk away from accounts that a lot of our competitors would not walk away from. That's why they're not in business today. Because we know where there's going to be a claim that's going to happen. We know certain parts of the country is more unprofitable than other parts of the country. So we'll look very closely at these accounts and see that, uh-oh, we know the likelihood of the suit occurred is going to be, it'll be tremendous. We talk about California, Hawaii, most any coast areas. If you talk about on the West Coast, any west of I-5, and if you talk about the East Coast, anything east of 95 and west of I-5 is where most of your claims come from. And then you have New York, which is a completely separate animal. 
we won't even touch New York. <laughs> we'll, we'll focus on, on California today as much as this is also a, a national issue, which, of course, it is. So what were the kinds of claims? Okay. Um, one more thing, so we're talking about why the, what would happen to the umbrella market is that the key thing to me, the rates were always too low. $15 billion limit for, you know, $1,500, $2,000. And we knew it sooner or later would catch up unless you do solid under, unless you understand your business well enough and you ask the right questions. It was often, way too often that we see that why you ask these questions about pools and diving boards and lock gates and all these things that our competitors didn't ask about, that's why I'm not in business today. So besides the pools, what are the other concerns that are red flags for, for umbrella carriers? But can I just add one more thing to what you guys were saying about what's causing this, and I think it goes back to what Kevin was saying, is there really is very little correlation between jury awards and actual damages. And so these runaway verdicts that you're seeing, you know, 600 million, 20 million, you know, Surfside Champlain, you know, 1.2 billion. I mean, those are things that are scaring these carriers completely. They're saying, you know what? We just don't make enough money down the road to be able to support that type of recovery, judgment, or settlement. And they're getting pressure from the reinsurers who are saying, wait a second, you know, we used to make a lot of money on this stuff, but, you know, now we're not doing that, you know. So that, that's something I think that really has caused problems. And, and we're seeing these multi-million dollar judgments all over the place. I've heard Kevin use the term nuclear verdicts to describe it. Before you get to nuclear verdicts, we're talking about social inflation, which led to nuclear verdicts. Social inflation is the key. Social inflation is saying that the judgments and settlements used to be at one level, but now it's something called inflation and inflated these amounts, but it comes more from societal issues, more so than it has been just for, and, and we talk about societal issues, we're talking about things that people look at and go, I have you abused the system, we want to hurt you. We're going to penalize you. And so now we're talking about some things that we can't underwrite, things that we can't predict what the cost is going to be. So we know that if there's a certain type of claim and societal issues are involved in that, it's going to really increase that, increase that amount higher than we've seen or we expect to see. You're talking about a social collective aggression uh, that's being directed at the corporations, the entities, the man, if you will, and yep. when you get to court, those associations are considered to be the man, the government, the local agency that should be held responsible for everything. And what individual boards and even brokers who Kevin and I deal with don't necessarily understand why do, why do you ask all these questions? You know, we don't ask questions just because we like to cause pain and suffering to our brokers or their boards. You know, from our experience, we ask certain questions and we're all getting this even uh, tenfold now with the cyber liability and which nobody understands necessarily. But even with the DNO and such, you know, why do you care if there's self-closing locking gates? Why do you care if there's, you know, egress or ingress? I mean, these are significant things that, you know, can cause a severe injury. I mean, you had in Oakland, you know, with the the club where they basically boarded up the the exits you know you know those are the kind of things that uh, are happening and i think 
I don't know if we're going to get into it a little bit later, but some of the things that carriers are doing now, which are going to be, I think, cause significant additional time in the underwriting process, is going to cause also people to have problems. But on the other hand, I'm getting tears and agony from brokers all over the country who say, you know what, we just need something. You know, we used to have a hundred million. You know, can we at least get five million? And then Kevin, I don't know if you're finding it, but now they're coming back to us on the DNO primary side and saying, hey. Can we get higher limits on the primary? And uh, since most of our policies are defense outside the limits, it's very difficult to consider giving, you know, higher limits on that because, you know, if we're going to try to get out of a claim and we can get out of it by paying a million dollar limits, you know, we want to do that to cut off the, you know, defense fees and costs, which is exactly what happened in, you know, in the Champlain Tower South where, they all just jumped because it had nothing to do with coverage. It had to do with avoiding defense fees and costs. And also for, so people would look at them and think that they're somewhat heroes by just handing out checks. That's one of the big fears that we have on the insurance side is the world looks different now once that building came down in Florida. As Champlain Towers building, once that came down, we're recognizing now deferred maintenance is a huge problem for community associations. And how do we address that from an insurance point of view? How can we look at these things and determine that that balcony has cosmetic problems or does it have structural problems, you know? And if it has structural problems, you have to move everybody out. I mean, there's so many issues right now that we have to decide, we, the Joe and I look at to make sure that our account remains profitable. It is about profitability because we, Joe, yeah, we've been in, in this business a long time handling this type of business and we plan on being in it for a little while longer. The key thing is, how do you underwrite these these complex buildings? We have people inside there that really don't like each other because we live in a world now where half of you are not like the decision you make. The decision you make, you're not half half that group not going to like it. So you're going to fight back and forth, and you're not going to settle. You're going to you're going to fight it and demand it. And all of a sudden, things that we haven't seen in my thirty plus years of doing it, I'm seeing it now every single day. So it's getting more and more challenging out there to be a board member of a community association because you are being sued a lot more and these damages rewards are a lot higher than they ever have been since I've been in this business. So do you see uh, or do you foresee that umbrella carriers are going to start to request copies of the reserve studies to review them to make sure that there's adequate reserves for those failing components that you're talking about? Well, I mean, that's the challenge that, that we're all dealing with. And Kevin and I were both were on the aging infrastructure task force, you know, for the Foundation for Community Association Research. I mean, at first, we were just looking at what is the value, you know, or what's going to prevent these values from depreciating. But now it's really the latent defects, the latent structural issues that you're not going to see on a, on a reserve study. You know, a reserve study may see things that say, hey, you know what, you might want to get an engineer or somebody in here to open this up or to do a little destructive testing, but that normally doesn't happen. Although I think all of us can find out a lot about an association by looking at a reserve study. Primarily, they have a pool and they told us they didn't have a pool, you know, things like that. But as they're trying to do in Florida, and I think they've just completely missed the boat on how they're doing it, and that's a whole nother seminar, it's really the the structural components that need to be you know evaluated champlain towers has a lot of backstory that shows that people really 
you know, it was thrown up, you know, with gum and sticks and nobody who were involved at the beginning should have had any sense that there would be any different result. They're just lucky that they lasted as long as they did. So obviously Champlain Towers was a huge claim. And I know that uh, we talked about the social inflation and the nuclear verdict. So we've been seeing higher and higher claims in, in the HOA industry. Now, Joel, you mentioned the reinsurers earlier. Do other sectors of liability insurance, other umbrella markets, do they play a factor as well? Like if you had the MGM shooting or the Boy Scouts of America settlements, those kinds of things that are approaching a billion dollar judgments, is that the same money insuring homeowner associations as well? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the type of reinsurance. But yeah, I mean, the one thing that that we really have to make clear to everybody is what we're feeling in the community association world is not absent in the rest of the industry. The entire industry is experiencing severe increases in premiums when it comes to umbrella liability. And so it's not unique to the industry, but the fact is the industry are volunteer board members, you know, who are used to paying, as Kevin said, two to three thousand dollars a year for fifteen million dollars or twenty million dollars in insurance. And you know, if you go outside of our industry, you know. And I'm sure you've seen this too, Ryan, is you're not going to find anything under a million or 1.5 million per million limits. I mean, it's a different world. And I think, unfortunately, we may be coming closer to that if we want to be able to keep programming. I would say for a long time now, just as an average for a $5 million umbrella, you're looking at, uh, you know, $1,500. And to put that in perspective, if there was a single claim paid to policy limits at $5 million, you'd have to write 3,333 new umbrella policies just to make up that one loss, which is just not sustainable. Yep. <laughs> That's the issue that we face all the time is that, again, we have so many accounts between the two of us, uh, and we're looking to see, can we sustain it? Is it sustainable? And the reality is, no, it's not. It can't be sustained. We're fortunate right now that we're sustaining, but what happens is we're the only game in town. We're seeing so many submissions that we're going to start missing things, and we're going to start writing things we probably shouldn't be writing because we're seeing the same kind of pressures on us that we never saw before. And so what's going to happen is we have to be even more diligent than we have been in the past and say it's going to take 30 days to get it pulled out. It's going to take time to get things done because we're looking at the marketplace, right? And we're looking at community associates specifically and saying, all right, what's changed here? And again, you look at COVID, and COVID's over, but yeah, people are staying home now, okay? People are working from home now. It never happened before. Historically, you know, we would have people get up in the morning, go to work, and come home at 5 or 6 o'clock. Now they're home at 4, 3, or 2. They look out their window and see things they don't like. And we see things they don't like, they're going to blame the board for not doing, not, you know, trimming the trees, not cleaning the pool, not maintaining the property. So we're seeing exposures that we haven't seen before because of COVID. So we're starting to see things we haven't seen in our industry. So as a result, the, the claims are being greater and greater in areas that we just haven't experienced before. So is the answer going to be, and where do you see us going in the future, a higher premiums? You know, if, if a, a $5 million umbrella is $5,000 right off the bat, does that fix the problem? Well, it doesn't hurt the problem. It, you know, I mean, you have things, again, like we're not seeing – California, for example, I came across three or four claims, you know, 
in the 10 million range where a tree in an association fell on somebody's car with them in it and killed them. I mean, those are, you know, you don't expect those. And those are virtually impossible to underwrite. And so that's difficult. But I think I think we are going to be looking at a whole different world in the next few years unless things just calm down completely. You're going to be looking at, at umbrellas that associations are going to have to make the decision that they're just not going to buy it. Or they're going to go back to buying a million-dollar umbrella just to, you know, because there are a lot of injuries that if somebody gets injured and you have a million GL and you have a million umbrella and you walk to them with a $2 million check, it's very hard for some people to walk away from that. You know, and that's sort of the old adage when, you know, my company, for example, first came out and I thought it was they're out of their minds with the $15 million umbrella for $5. I mean, it was, you know, it was a difficult time. And now that that is basically the norm with everybody. $5? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but for all intents and purposes, it, was, is, it wasn't a whole lot less than what it is right now, but you can't just the same thing with our DNO policies, which is another discussion. You know, things are going to get different, and in, in the challenge in our industry is they're not slowing down with community associations. Community associations are still coming up 5,000 plus a year. And so there's going to have to be something done, and whether it's legislative actions or, or not. You know, one of the challenges in a lot of states, and I think in California, you may have to fund your reserve studies, but people don't. And they don't fund them to the amount that they can. And a lot of times people just say, oh, God, I'm just going to cross my fingers, hope I move before, you know, something happens and there's a special assessment, you know? And so I think a lot of people, unfortunately, are going to fly by the seat of their pants. And I think they're going to be more geographic focused. I mean, California, you guys are going to get it from every different angle, you know, from your taxes to your insurance. I mean, your auto insurance, you know, is more than uh, the association's uh, DNO and umbrella insurance. You know, so it, it's crazy. So California, New York, Florida, Texas, Illinois, these are states that are going to just have a really difficult time. They're going to have to find some other solution. And I think one of the positives that's going to come out of this, as with the COVID and with the infrastructure issues, is I think people are going to take their insurance a little more seriously. I think they're going to look at what they're purchasing because, for example, with COVID, people just thought that they were going to be covered for everything. They didn't realize that it had no place and it was either excluded or not within the coverage. You know, and Kevin and I both experienced where people are coming, well, they decided to open or not to open the pool. And so why isn't there any coverage for that? It was based on a decision. You know, and then you have, you know, a lot of the umbrellas, you know, it's, they're going to probably have exclusions to prevent, you know, there from being coverage uh, above the underlying, which basically denies coverage. One thing we should probably do, Ryan, is that what's what's some some good news that we can really let your people know about people who are listening to this thing. And I think Joel kind of started going that direction. And and to me, the good news is this: is that there's an awareness out there from an insurance point of view, as well as out there now from the community associated point of view that this is an issue. Now, what are you going to do with the issue? Well, number one, you're going to get a reserve study. You know, you're going to maybe fund it and you're going to spend the money. 
you know, because you know, one thing that happens is that they have a reserve study, like Champlain Towers had, reserve study, they have reserves there, but they haven't spent a dime. So I think the educational process has improved. I think from an insurance point of view, we're going to demand certain things. We're going to demand, probably going to say, I, in fact, I'll probably put on my application, do you have a reserve study? And just check yes or no. If you say no, I'm going to have to go recommend you have a reserve, at least a minimum, have a reserve study. A minimum. It should be the ground floor reserve study. And then you should be thinking about funding it and make sure you spend the money. So I think right now there's educational act to what we see now because people have to understand that your rates will go up. You will spend more money for insurance you haven't spent before because you have not done the job you should have done. Not only are you spending more on the insurance premiums itself, but you're, these communities are also now spending a lot more money on bringing themselves up to snuff so that they're a risk that the carriers are willing to take on. Right. And one of the things that, that, again, I don't think people really realize is how, and I think management companies are going to be a, a keystone to this, is there's just so much in the area of non-insurance risk management that these associations need to do. One of the things I, and I'm sure Kevin gets these calls all the time as well, is, well, what if we put a skate park in our association or what if you know, you know, we don't have lifeguards or a you know, dog different park. things like this. Right. What if we let the the Pop Warner football guys practice in our Greenbelt area? You know that. Although people hate me when I say this, but I say, you know what, an association where the obligation is to protect the interests of the association, you can't assume liabilities that you aren't required to assume. And that, you know, from a social science standpoint, people, you know and it might not work in California, uh, people just don't like that. And uh, But at other times, you know, somebody's daughter comes home from college, she's an NCAA, you know, ranked swimmer, and she's going to teach swimming lessons in the pool. And, you know, and all the moms look at that as free daycare, and they drop off their kids. And the kids, she can't watch a bunch of them as she's doing different things. And, you know, is that an assumption that, the association uh, wants to assume, and what about requesting, you know, additional insurance status from others? I think figuring out ways to transfer their exposure and risk is really going to going to become a new, I think, industry, you know, or a more in-depth industry. That's a great point. I get the same kind of calls. I think they're looking for us to say no. You can't do it. Well, I talked to the insurance carrier. They said no. They can't do it. Because I think that's what they really want to Because they know it doesn't make sense to expand their liability, create more liability than before. And they call me up and say, well, I don't recommend you doing that right now because you are increasing your liability. And, you know, we like saying, no, no, we, we don't think you should do it. Absolutely. These folks, you know, you live in a community association, you're on the board of directors, you have to live with all of those neighbors and they have to, you don't want to be the bad guy for those decisions. You know, they want this. You You don't want to be the one to tell them no. So let the carrier or the agent or the broker be the one that says, no, you can't do this. If you have armed guards, we will not get you insurance. And, and another issue that, that I see, and I'm sure it's in every state, including California, is there's so many board members, and for, I mean, I can we could probably figure out the reasons, that their goal is to maintain assessments at a level forever. And, you know, life doesn't work that way. 
you know, just look at today's inflation, just to keep up with inflation, you know, you have to do that. And I mean, there's nothing, in, maybe you've seen it, Kevin, I've never seen in the thousands upon thousands of governing documents that I've reviewed, I've never seen anything that says the obligation of the board is to save money. The obligation of the board is to protect the assets. And so many people, I guess they want to have friends. And so they don't want to increase by a hundred, one hundred and fifty dollars, you know, a year of the assessment. People go ballistic. Absolutely, and you've got folks on fixed incomes in certain communities where you don't want to force, you know, this little old lady out of her home. But the sad truth is that she can't afford to live in that home anymore uh, because the community, the board has a fiduciary duty to increase those dues so that they are maintaining the property values and maintaining the association as a good risk for insurance carriers to take on and mitigating the risk that is exposed by bringing those components up to a high standard. That's phone calls I would get. Hey, if we have a special assessment, we treat, if we increase our assessments, you know, we're afraid we're going to get sued, so we're not going to do it. No, it's going to be the other way around. You will be sued if you don't do it. Anything that you guys would like to add before we wrap up here? about the umbrella industry as a whole, where we're going, and we've kind of discussed all of that. Anything else they should know, our folks, our listeners? My thing is, you know, community associations are here to stay. Communities, counties, municipalities are looking to community associations so they can transfer infrastructure costs outside of the government because they're on a fixed income too. You know, so I think people just have to be patient. They have to listen to their professionals, you know, you know, a lot of people just say, well, they just want to screw us. You know, the insurance company just wants to make money. I don't, Kevin and I both see because we get reports and stuff all the time, you know, and insurance companies, it's all a numbers game. If they can sell more policies at the lower price, they're going to sell more policies as long as they don't have increased exposure. But people just think that they increase it not because of some actuary has realized, hey, maintain and sustain this. And Kevin and I, but just to be as successful as we've been with maintaining our programs, there are a lot of people out there who just haven't done that because, you know, they just want to buy some of the market and they're not doing a favor to these other associations. I know in your retail context, Brian, you've never heard of anybody considering price as their main thing when it comes to purchasing insurance. I mean, I tell people, take your proposal in. Because what is the first thing they do? They look at the premium page. I say, leave that page in your briefcase for two reasons. One, it's really fun to watch them just start sweating because they can't find it. And the second is you say, hey, you know what? You can go online and buy insurance, but if you want to buy it from somebody like myself who specializes in this area so I can help you understand and best protect your risk, let me explain it to you. And that's when you get a chance to get in front of the board, which I know is another issue that a lot of associations have. You know, and I won't make any comments about why they don't get personally in front of uh, boards, but, you know, I think most agents would do anything to get in front of boards if they could. Anything to add? Sure. For me, it's about awareness. I think that what we've done, and Joel's done the same thing, is to educate board of directors, our insurance agents and brokers to say, this is the reality right now. We're not going candy code and say, guess what? The rate's going to go down next year. We're going to everything be normal. No. I, I, you know, we're seeing the rates going to be continue to go up on liability overall because of what the world looks like. We live in a 50-50. Half the people in my association is also the other half of them. 
other hand. So we know that means going to increase exposure, increase lawsuits. So as a result of these increased lawsuits, that rates will go up. So our job is to explain that without candy coating it and saying, yes, don't worry about it. Yes, you have to worry. You do have to do some risk management yourself. Make sure your trees are trimmed. Don't cover up the stop sign. You know, make sure things are done in the right way. Yeah, and, and as a helpful benefit, you know, the general liability carriers are going out there uh, usually and inspecting the property and looking for loss control recommendations that they can provide to the communities. And and like Joel had said, you know, about the underwriting guidelines, these are all based as well as the loss control recommendations on your experience, the carrier's experience. Where have they seen the most claims? What are the most dangerous risks that will lead to a large liability claim? And how do we avoid those? What can we, what can we do to mitigate that risk? So thank you guys both so much for, for joining us today and trying to explain to us this crazy umbrella market that we're in. How can our listeners reach you if they, if they have any more questions? Uh, what should they do, Joel? You can just uh, email me at jmeskin at mcgowanprograms.com or uh, you can call Kevin between midnight and 6 a.m. on his <laughs> cell phone. And, no, you can call me on my office line too, 216-385-5610. And if you can't get me, a number of people on my team would be more than happy to assist. Great. And Kevin? Sure. I, I, you can call me at 213-833-6194 in my office or email me at kdavis at kdis.com and look forward to hearing from anybody. Great. Thank you guys both so much. As we end our episode, we'd like to remind our listeners that if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for topics that you'd like to learn more about, you can email us at feedback at hoashow.org. Join us next time on The HOA Show. To share or subscribe to The HOA Show, visit us at hoashow.org. There, you'll be able to listen to other episodes, find helpful resources relating to HOAs, provide feedback, submit questions, and check out other great stuff. The HOA Show podcast has been made possible by the contributions of Klein Agency insurance brokers, leaders in the community association industry. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast, its presenters and guests do not constitute legal advice. For more information on how the topics and discussion apply to you, please consult with your own legal counsel.